Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Isn't it great to be here? Are you ready to open up your Bibles? And, um, and the rest of you, if you're a visitor too, it's great to see you. And uh, for those of you who are lying in your beds because it was a wee bit wet online, <laughs> Lord, spring a leak in their roof in Jesus. I'm only kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm only kidding. <laughs> Let the rain fall. Remember that prayer? And... Um, yeah, so Penny and I were actually out on a boat. Ironically, because if you haven't been tracking, last week was Father's Day. We were doing, I did a, started a, a mini-series in Noah, which is ironic, really, given the weather. And Penny and I, we, we were doing our, um, for those of you who don't know, I love boats. Penny hates them. I tend to hire boats when we're together as a family and petrify the life out of them. You hear the stories the wrong way around. I tell the truth of it. But either way, we landed as a family on, if we're going to get boats and I have a wee dream of getting my own boat, then I need to learn how to drive a power boat. So we went and we started our license on Friday at Lockern, which was some crack, let me tell you, all right? Because they don't really hang about. They put you in the boat, they say, stick the throttle forward and away you go. I was most nervous, however, when we happened to park it. I knew that I would be okay, <laughs> right? But actually, Penny was amazing, all right? And uh, we had fun, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. It was great. Well, we're only halfway through it, so we're going to go back. And so the, the, the thing about it is that I, I do have in my head, like you, you might laugh, right? And I, I'm not saying Stenaline or that thing that's, that's kind of moored up beside uh, the uh, Odyssey today, you know, and your woman who had her boot off banger and all that. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I, I don't really see that uh, as part of my future, but like a wee fishing boot or something, you know, where I could potter about with the kids, well, maybe not the kid. No, just potter about my self and let them do whatever they want to do. I kind of have it in my mind's eye. It's important to have something inside of you that, you know, if I didn't think that one day I could see myself relaxing on Loch Earn, then I wouldn't have done Friday. Do you get that? You see, what, what's in your heart is, a, is like a magnet. It pushes you and it drives you and it, it, it starts to um, form the decisions that you make in your life. And if you want to know why you make the decisions that you do and why your life is going the way that it is, predominantly the word says that it's because you are following what's on the inside of you, the picture that's on the inside of you. And I want to talk into that today in this second part of Noah because very quickly in a two-minute recap, everything in the Bible is the story of Jesus from beginning to end. You see, in, in actually in the Hebrew language, all the way through from Genesis through to Revelation, that Jesus is, you know, in the Old Testament is concealed. He's revealed in the New. But what we can do is we can see Jesus, and uh, we can see Jesus in all of the stories and the narrative through the Old. And why is that important? Well, Jesus himself, whenever he, he rose again on the road to Emmaus, and he, he meets the guys who are pretty down, and they're pretty depressed, and they're walking away disappointed. You all know the story. I've preached on it so many times. And what happens is when Jesus walks alongside them and he opens the scripture, what he doesn't do is give them 10 principles, 10 guiding talks. Here's the greatest hits of, you know, the steps to glory. He doesn't do that, does he? What he does is he opens the word and he shows that all the way from the very beginning, the whole way through, it was all about him. And what are we told? That their hearts burned as a result. And actually this morning, as you see Jesus, your heart will burn. You know, my heart doesn't burn particularly when I have, when I open something up and it's 10 things that I need to do really well tomorrow. Heck, sometimes I can just about feel like I'm getting through the day. Anybody? Yeah? I, I, 
Oh, no, no, definitely not, Pastor. We love it. We just float through in a cloud of glory. Well, good for you. I, I don't. I, I need more of Jesus. I need more of his help. I need more of his, more revelation of who he is and what he has done in me because that's what brings me hope. That's what brings me hope for tomorrow. So we're going to look into that. And, and what I said in the, in the first week in Noah was that the, the ark is a picture of Jesus. It's a cool, kid, cool story that we tell the kids, isn't it? Big ark and all the animals go in. And, and then we start to look at, actually, we start to look at the language and we start to look at how everything is Jesus revealed. And the ark is a picture of Jesus. Bring your family to the ark. You are sealed in the ark. The waters of judgment don't come near you. Why? Because of atonement on the inside and the out seals you from, from the judgment of God. You're not judged anymore according to your sin. You're judged according to righteousness. That's why we can all have hope that we'll go to heaven one day. Because if there's one bit of sin in us, we're not getting into heaven. But Jesus, when he came, that's why we've got to tell people the good news of Jesus. Why? Because your life can be totally transformed, right? And it's no, no longer you trying your best for the Lord, but allowing him to empower you and equip you. And so I, I talked about that. I talked about how even the measurements, uh, I told you 300 is about death, resurrection, and, and, and our death, atonement, resurrection. Uh, that's the number of victory as well as 17 in the Bible. 50 and 30 are the other uh, numbers used to describe the ark, 50 being jubilee and freedom, 30 being uh, atonement. So every, every which way you look, you can only see Jesus in it. And it's such a beautiful picture. And then I just want to, I'm going to jump in on the end of the story today in, in, in uh, where I left off actually last time, Genesis 8. Verses will come up here. So are, are you ready? To, are your hearts open to learn this morning? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I'm talking about hope. Because there's something in this story which I think is really important for today and where we're, where we're all at actually. Because uh, when, when the ark is coming when the, the, the time of the water is going to start to recede, you, you read this 7, 8, and 9, uh, Genesis. What, what happens is, on, I said this at the end of last week, what happens is the ark comes to rest on the 17th day of the seventh month. Now, that is not by accident, and it's not random. As I told you, the 17th day of the seventh month is the day that Jesus rose again. All right, so we have this picture crossing thousands of years of history of Jesus. And it comes, the ark comes to rest, right? It's really important. The ark comes to, remember, Noah means rest. Ark comes to a place of rest on Mount Ararat. Now, in Hebrew, the word to bless is barach, and to curse is arar. Now, the name Ararat, a mixture of those, means that the ark comes to rest on a place where the curse is reversed. That's what Ararat means in Hebrew. And so you have Noah and his family coming through judgment and landing where they start from. And this is really important because they're going to go back into the earth and they're going to repopulate. They're going to fill the earth again now that the judgment of God has receded. And what, where, where's their starting place? They start in a place where the curse has been reversed. That's where you stand today. That's the picture that we have. The ground that you, that you walk from every day is not cursed ground. Where you put your feet, the Lord says, the curse is reversed. Now, that's really important. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. Because everyone might be born on the cursed ground, but because of Jesus' resurrection, the 17th day of the seventh month, that whole thing of victory, you know, victory and perfection, when you look at the numbers, it's incredible. And when, he's, when he is risen again, what do we know? It is finished. The curse was reversed. Do you get that? Do you understand? Okay, good. 
Because it is from that place, and it's only from that place, that Noah and his family have to go. They don't have anything else other than they're standing on ground where the curse is reversed. They have a promise from God. We know this. He sends them a sign. It's a rainbow, Genesis 9. And then he says this. Actually, I'll go back to 8. He says, So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, (laughs) every bird, creeping thing. That just sounds funny to me. Whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. And this is what happens, okay? This is what happens. What, what comes after judgment? This is why it's so important that we, we, we bring people to the good news of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. Because the, the truth and the good news of Jesus is that judgment is done. Judgment is finished. You will not be ju- If Jesus was judged for your sin, then you will not be judged for your sin. Because Jesus won't be crucified again. Do you get that? Now, if, you, if, if people live their lives either in religion or outside of religion, where they feel like the ground that I stand on, this is where, the, the picture is this, they land on, on, on ground where the Lord says, the curse is now reversed. Now go. Go from that place. They needed to have something in their hearts, right? Which, whenever they were going into the work, because it wasn't going to be easy. They were going to have to refill and repopulate and go for it. And that was not just kind of wandering in, going here, isn't this great? right? It would have been tough. It would have been hard work. There would have been plenty of challenges, but what they had in them was hope that they would never be judged again in the way that God had judged the earth. Do you get that? If you don't have that foundation to stand on, you will never have hope in your heart. You won't be able to go. You won't be able to do. Well, in fact, you might be able to, but it'll be on your strength, your effort, on your dime, and you will not see a supernatural result of the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life through natural effort ever. You'll just end up tired. And you'll see minimal result whenever God is saying, you know what, I've sat, I've sat you on, on, on ground where the curse is reversed. Now, I'm going to give you a sign that no matter where you go, you are favored by God. And let that be your hope. Let that be your hope. I want to speak into that today. Because that's what happens post the ark. They go into the world with absolutely nothing else other than the promise of God and hope in their hearts. Do you get that? And I actually think there's something in that because, you know, hope as we describe it. And I want to, there's, there's a bit of ministry in here for people today. Because hope is in short supply today. Hope is in short supply in the church. Hope is in short supply in many believers' lives. It's hard to hope in a world which presses in on every side. It's hard to have hope when we can see with our natural eyes only and see that things are pretty tough. It's hard to hope when your interest rate goes up another half percent. Anyone? Do you know what? I think we should all go and see Rishi Sunak, or whoever. We should all get a bus. Let's do a bus trip to London. Go and see Rishi and say, mate, give us a chance. You know? Anyone? Yeah. Okay. You people with no mortgages going, I don't know what the problem is. Well, back in the real world, okay, they're just going up the way. And so I want, I want to minister into that this morning and say, it's really important that you don't let hope die, whether it's for your family, whether it's for your ministry, whether it's for your future, whether it's for your body this morning. Because the truth of it is, 
you're not, you're, your feet have not been placed on cursed ground. Because of Jesus, you're on favor ground. Amen. You walk from that place. And the Lord says, I'm, I'll always give you a sign that you can hope for today and for tomorrow. I want to explain why that really matters because hope in the New Testament is a word elpis, E-L-P-I-S. And what it means, as, as I've told you many times, it means to expect, to anticipate with pleasure, to have, as we would say it in here, a strong, confident expectation of God's goodness. And 1 Peter 1.13 tells us very clearly that hope, according to the, the, the Scripture, is not simply, fingers crossed, let's take a whack at it. If we work hard enough, when we run out, he'll, he'll then kind of join in on the end and it'll all be fine. So knock yourself sideways for Jesus and then at some point the Lord will see. That's not what the, the Scripture says. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, set your, let me say the word again, set your expectation, your anticipation, your strong, confident expectation, set it fully on the grace which is brought to you where? At the revelation of Jesus. That's why when you get a revelation of Jesus, that what happens to you is grace comes to you. Grace elevates Jesus and lowers your effort and elevates everything about him. And what happens there is the Lord says, if you want to go into this world with a strong, confident expectation of good, don't set your hope, don't set your anticipation on anything else other than Jesus and his finished work. Other than that, that is the only foundation. That is the only thing that is going to make, cut any mustard. It's the only thing that you can be sure and steady of. You're standing on favor ground and you walk from there with an expectation of the undeserved, unmerited, full favor of Jesus on your life. Do you get that? You see, the, the problem is mixture. The problem is when we go, I have a strong and confident expectation that something in me will be able to do it with God's help. No, that's not what the scripture says. Set your hope fully. And when we're our hope, and what you're going to see is faith and hope, or particularly hope, is not a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the heart. That's what the word says. And when your heart is set that way, then what happens is you can work hard. You can do all that inflow with the Holy Spirit. But actually, the outcome and the result is his work. He builds the house, and we get to partner and co-labor with him rather than grinding it out with him. I don't have hope for me. Do you get that? In my own effort. Because like many of you, I am sometimes up and down like a flipping fiddler's elbow. Any, is that shocking for you? Do you want a super pastor who just says, you know what? Get up in the morning, read Exodus, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, <laughs> Veggie Tales. Read it all in the Hebrew. Read it backwards. Memorize it. I don't do that. Sometimes I open my eyes and go, seriously, another day? <laughs> Jesus, come back. Has anyone ever prayed recently, like, Jesus, please come back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was me when Penny was doing 25 knots across Logger Earn on Friday. <laughs> and I jest you not, at one point she said to me, as she's hurtling along the water, because <laughs> I have it on video, she was going, I can't really see where it's going. <laughs> and I was like, and the instructor was going, it goes that way, Penny. And I was sitting going, oh, Jesus, we don't even do that, but I was doing it anyway. One of those Hail Marys, giving it everything. This is a time to take a whack at everything, right? Which way does the river go? <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> so when you, when you have this hope in the Bible, it's not wishful thinking. It, it's not, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope that it happens. That's absolutely not 
what is meant by Christian hope. Christian hope is a confidence that something is going to pass because God promised it. And it's part of his finished work of grace for us. And because he promised it, he watches over his word every day to see it perform. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about his grace. And the revelation of Jesus and his work for you, as it becomes bigger, then what will happen is that your hope will increase. Your hope will grow on the inside. And I, I know, look, this is a difficult message. Sometimes it's a difficult message for me to grasp because it's like, you know, we want to believe, don't we? Do you have something in your life today where you go, I really want to believe that that's going to be different? But it's hard to do it because we get disappointed. We get, you know, things don't work out. We kind of set our, our face towards something that just doesn't happen the way that we thought it was going to. And so oftentimes, even, even in the church, we're told, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Because... I mean, I was told many times it's better to lower my expectations than to deal with the disappointment of broken hope. And that kind of sounds right, doesn't it? It comes from a good heart and a good place. It comes from a place of wanting to protect people. And I absolutely understand that. But I never saw anywhere, any time that Jesus encountered someone that he lowered their expectation. <laughs> Did he? Can you, if it's in there, can you help me with it? Is there any time where Jesus encounters brokenness and goes, you know what? Let's just take our chance here. Or just don't believe for too much. He actually said, all things are possible if you believe. All things are possible if you believe. And so I, I understand the heart that wants to protect. So we, we keep, because hope, and here's the thing, hope when it's rooted in you and what you do or somebody else does is very fragile. It's almost like holding a, like a, a bubble in your hands, you know, like a kid's bubble when they blow it. Just the slightest thing is going to break it. And that's why the Bible says this biblical hope is set fully on the grace of Jesus, fully on his finished work. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, forever, and he never, ever lets us down. We may feel disappointed, but it's not because he's not honoring his word. You get that? I've learned in my life many times when I don't see what the word I do, if what the word promises, if I'm not seeing it, what I don't do is renegotiate who God is. I don't get to, get, I don't get to recreate God in the image of my experience. I simply get to humble myself under almighty God, the king of heaven and earth, and say where I don't, just like the disciples, Lord, I want to believe, but help me where I can't believe, or I won't believe, or I don't believe, or it's too hard to believe. Do you get that? But what I can't do, because then all bets are off, you'll never have hope if you have, like, look, look at, you know, the people in this room today. If we all renegotiate who he is based on what happened to us this week, we wouldn't have a God at all, would we? That's why we come to Jesus and set our hope fully on the revelation of him. And if you, you're finding that you've got a lack of hope in your life, when I say about a confident expectation of tomorrow, like an anticipation of God's goodness, and there's something in you just goes, Phew then perhaps it's just a question of perspective. I'm going to talk about that at the end. Where have, you, where have you been looking? Where have you been setting your mind and your heart to? Because the fruit of self, the fruit of sin, the fruit of all of that stuff will leave you totally hopeless. But with Jesus, when he becomes bigger, our hearts burn. Amen? So let's get into it even more because um, there's a couple of things in the, in the Bible I want to I just want to reaffirm with you, and it's, it's always about the, the law of first mention, um, because 
What we see here, when you see in the Bible how the Lord sets things up, it really helps you to understand what hope looks like in real life. You know the way we get, you've got to have hope. I feel like Barack Obama, remember him? He was all like a, a new hope and all this sort of stuff. Boris Johnson, they were all traded on the hope message. And then it kind of goes, doesn't really work out and people get disappointed. And so like you, if you're like me, you've probably heard a hundred talks in hope and you go, well, how do I do it tomorrow morning? See tomorrow Monday morning when the rain is bashing off the windows and the kids aren't doing as they're told. <laughs> the husband's not doing as he's told. So the <laughs> quickly turned that one around. Just one cursory look to the front row and I quickly backed up right there or whatever, the dog's not doing as it's told. How do, how do you, where does hope come in in real life? Let me tell you where it starts. Hope, according to the Bible, is positive imagination. Let me say that again. It's positive imagination. You've got to understand the power of your imagination if you're going to harness the power of hope. Let me read it to you in Romans 8. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope, this is this word, Alpes, is not what that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Let me say that again because I made a mess of it. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What Paul is saying here is this, that hope is something that clearly isn't seen, something that is not currently present. Because once something becomes present, you don't need to hope for it anymore. Remember like all those Christmases? I hoped for many things, a Millennium Falcon, a snooker table, right? A putting green. Like, I loved it. But the thing is, when you would open that door on Christmas morning, and I'll never forget the Millennium Falcon for any Star Wars fans, right? Like, literally, even now I've got goosebumps thinking about it, right? I opened that door, and there it was sitting. And I had, I had read every catalog. You know, you used to get the catalogs, and you go through it, and what do you want from Santa, and all this stuff. It's always a Millennium Falcon for me. And then you get it, and it's like, I've got it, and it's amazing. But you don't hope for it anymore. Why? Because it's right in front of you. And this is the difficulty for us as human beings, right? Because we're, we're, we're totally trained by the world the other way. It's like you, you can only really depend on what's in front of you and what's solid. But the Bible says this, before it becomes solid many times, you've got to see it on the inside. And there's a difficulty for us because hope means that you're looking at something that you can't see. You might be thinking about your ministry right now. You might be thinking about your family and your future. And you might have, you know, and you're going, well, if I can't see that physically, how am I supposed to look at it? And the Bible is very clear that faith and hope are not products just of the mind, they're products of the heart. You can see it with your heart. And this is what imagination, according to the word, actually is. It's not about dreaming. It's not about having sort of airy, fairy, floaty ideas. In fact, Isaiah 26 says this. There's a real concrete application. You keep us in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because we trust in you. The word mind here in Isaiah 26.3 is translated imagination four other times in the Old Testament. So you could quote that verse actually this way. You'll have perfect peace in your heart when your imagination is stayed on him. Now I'll tell you what the problem with Christians is today, amongst many, of which I am the worst, right? It's like as soon as we say imagination, many Christians reject that idea I, I, straight away. We, we normally relegate it to something that seems to be quite childish. But the, the scripture's clear. Imagination is a God-given gift that you gives you the ability to see with your heart 
that which you cannot see with your eyes. And you know what? You use that gift either in a way that the Lord intended or in an unredeemed way every single day. It's never switching off. Some people go, oh, well, we don't imagine. We don't, we don't ponder that because it's just, that's, that's for the dreamers. We're the doers, right? And I'm going, right, well, hold on. Let's just, let's just sit on that one for one minute. You might never have thought about this, but did you know that, like, let me give you a real life example. You wouldn't be able to get home today unless you had the power of imagination that God had given you. Why? As soon as I say, go home, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what starts to go off in your head? Right? You, you picture your house, don't you? Then you picture how you're going to get there. The way that God has made us is we think in pictures. I'm going to explain this in Hebrew in a minute. So, for example, I, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to figure out what goes on in your head. Apple. Okay, remember, inside voice, right? Chris isn't here, but inside voice. So whenever I say apple, you don't see the word apple, do you? What goes on? Do you pick, are you picturing it? Now, if I say green apple, what happens? If I say big, green, shiny apple, do you see what's happening? What, what's happening every time you get some more information? The picture becomes clearer, doesn't it? And I, I could use more words to describe the apple. And the more words that I use, the clearer the picture in your mind becomes. So whether you know this or not, right, you can't think of something you can't picture. Let me say that again because it's way more profound than most of you actually picked up. You can't think of something that you first can't picture. That's the way God made us. There's a Western mindset thing here which, which clashes with this. I'm going to talk about it. But your imagination is how you think, how you meditate, how you understand, and how you remember things like, how do I get home? And you really can't do anything without imagination. You have to take the word of God, the promise of God, the grace of God, and that's why God continually paints pictures in the word. Why? Because as we receive those pictures and we get more of them, then our hearts become convinced. Does that make sense? That's why we, that's why it's not just read your Bible, it's good for you. If you read Psalm 1 today, read whatever, you know, Jeremiah 7, I mean, there's a, the whole way through the Bible. That's why we go to Noah's Ark and we go, when I see the picture that I am sealed from the waters of judgment, that for me and my family, there is a generational promise that if they, if they come to the Ark, okay, you know, you've got to receive grace. Grace is freely given, but it must be received. But if you and your family will do that, the Lord seals you forever, right? Every time I look at that picture, what's happening, I'm getting, in my imagination in here, the, my understanding and the breadth and the depth of my revelation and what I can picture of Jesus becomes bigger so that when it's confronted with something tomorrow morning, I have something in here which goes, but I saw Jesus in this. And so I have hope. And so I have hope. Let me, uh, yeah, uh, let, let, let me, I want to teach you a little bit here, okay? Is that all right? Because there, there's two places. Just, when you come to the Word, there needs to be consistency. What we can't do is we can't just pick a, a verse out of somewhere and go and build a theology around it. That's really dangerous. And people do that simply sometimes to back up a position. Um, I'm not ever interested in doing that. I'm interested in going... You know, where are the threads from Genesis 1 through to Rev 22? Like, where, where does it point, where does it show me Jesus in it? 
And what you'll see is in the laws of first mention, for those of you who don't know, when something is mentioned for the first time, there is a particular significance that the Lord wants you to pay attention to. It's really important that you do that. Now, the first time that this is mentioned in the Old Testament is Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every, listen, intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So God links the heart with the imagination and the thoughts. You know, because we, we just think imagination is about your mind. You have these pictures. But God says, no, it's deeper than that. It is about this bit of you, Lubab in Hebrew, the inner place. It's about where life springs from. It's about the heart. Mind is about logic. Mind is about, it's nice, that word that we would probably use in Belfast today. Uh, one is analytical and one is knowing because we've seen it. You know the Western alphabet? You know where, where this gets tricky for believers today? And sometimes we teach believers in this manner. And I, I go, why do we do this? You know, it's like, because Western education is what? It's logical and it's analytical. Isn't that right? For those of you, if you can't remember that far back, the school, right? It pretty much was logical and analytical. My, my brother did a master. He, he got the brains and the looks, right? Not hard to imagine, okay? And uh, he, he went to Queens and did pure maths. And he was a bit of a genius, R. Pete. And he got the highest first in pure maths. It's the kind of maths, you know, where there's no numbers. <laughs> I used to look at it and go, you just make that. There's no way that's right because there's no numbers. It would just be like squiggles and letters. And I'd be going, where's the number in that? And he'd be going, oh, boffin, oh, whatever, right? <laughs> I used to go, Pete, you'll never get a girlfriend, mate. You'll never get a girlfriend. <laughs> Just think of the bigger picture here. You're not getting a girlfriend. If that's what you're into, right? He did all right, mind you. That's interesting. But he used to say to me, do you know what we should do with you people? Because I, I, I did a business degree. And I did French, and I think differently than him. He said that the bit of Queens <laughs> beside the Lanyon building, when you look at Queens, all my classes were in that left-hand side. He said, we should burn you students out of that to make room for more maths students. <laughs> right? And he's dead serious. Because he says, what do you contribute to the world? He says, honestly, what do you contribute? You're just a drain on society. And we used to have this to and fro with him. It was a bit of crack, right? But it's interesting that we are trained logically. That's why hope and faith can be so difficult. Because we're trained in a logical way, in an analytical way. We're trained to critically... Uh, appraise things to be very rational and then look at the way people were taught in the word because in hebrew kids right they were when you look at the bible when you look at hebrew they weren't taught logically and analytically they were taught using pictures that's the way they were taught you know the whole hebrew alphabet numbers now they all have a picture attached how many have we gone through in this church five the number five hey what is it it's an open heaven, right? And so it's a gate that opens to heaven. And the rabbis don't know what an open heaven means, but the Lord says, I will open heaven for you and pour out on you. It was a picture of Jesus. That's the number five, hey, the number of grace. But so they were always taught to visualize and to picture, not to be logical and critical and rational about it. And the reason why is because God gives you faith pictures. That's how he imparts faith and hope into you. He gives you a picture that you can meditate on, not just logical, analytical words. Do you get that? Who, who gets really inspired? I, mean, I was even thinking about this this morning. Martin Luther King. Imagine if he had stood up and went, I have a plan. Can you imagine? That would have been, who's your man? 
Imagine standing that day, waiting for the like, civil rights movement. No, this is brilliant. And he stands up and goes, I've got a spreadsheet for you. Can we just get it up on the screen here? <laughs> you'd, have been, you'd have been chucking stuff at him, wouldn't you? Flip's sake. What did he say? I have a dream. And then he starts to outlay and, and lay out what the dream is. Why? Because actually, let me give you a little bit of science on this. The way that God has made us, and, and you can go and check this out, every decision that you make, every behavior that you make is rooted first in how you feel your emotion and not your logic. When you see something for the first time, it's called a limbic response in you. This is where science thinks it's so clever, and if they just went to the word, they would see it straight away. Do you know how the, how the Lord made every single human being, whether in faith or not, their decision-making is based on what they see, how it makes them feel. It's, a, it's what's called an emotional limbic response. We do it in our businesses, our business classes all day long. Now, logic's important, but it's not the primary thing that lights up in people. That's why people today smoke, even though logically it makes no sense. You ever thought that? When you see somebody lighting up, I'm not judging them. I'm just going, why would you do that? It's so bad for you. Because logically, logic doesn't change behavior. But a picture, a view that actually stirs the heart of a man or a woman, that's why grace is good news. That's why grace and, and the gospel is such good news. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? That's the first time it's mentioned in the, in the old. And then in the New Testament, it's Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So every time, let me explain this. When every time scripture talks about imagination in a positive way, it uses the word hope. Paul talked about it, seeing things with his heart, taking the promises of God, and through those promises, he was starting to see how God was causing him to succeed. First mentioned in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The, 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 the short definition there, seeing is about experiencing God. And you go, well, I know when, when sometimes when you hear this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall experience God. And religion will tell you, well, you're not pure, so you're not going to experience. You can't have hope because you're not pure enough. You're a mess. I'm talking to believers here, okay? If people don't know Jesus, they need to come to Jesus and like we sang this morning, be washed by the blood of Christ. There's no other gospel. Let's be clear on that. But once that has happened... It's interesting that religion will still tell you when you have a performance mentality that it's, you're, you're never pure enough. Anyone? Remember the old, back in the day, I've said it a million times, if the Lord come back, which the Lord will come back, Rand, he's going to put all your dirty thoughts up on that big screen, right? And what will happen then? And you'll be like, oh, Jesus saved me again, right? Every Wednesday night in the meeting, I got saved a hundred times because I never felt anything even remotely pure. I didn't even know what that meant. But the first mention is important. You'll experience God. The word here is, the pure in heart is katharos. It means literally or ceremonially or spiritually, guiltless, innocent, and upright. Let me say that again. Those who are ceremonially or spiritually guiltless, innocent, and upright will experience God. And you go, well, I can't. And that's why 1 Peter 1 says, set your hope fully on undeserved favor. Not, because favor that you've earned was never free anyway. That was just a payment for your work. 
Set your hope fully on the grace of God. Why? Because it is the grace of God that declares you righteous before God. Righteous simply means dakasuna, simply means totally acceptable to him. It is that word in Matthew 5. You are absolutely ceremonially clean. And because of that work, that's where you put your hope, you can have hope for tomorrow. Why? Because there ain't nothing then holding God back from favoring you. Is that good? I guess what I'm trying to say is there's so many limits on us. I I, want to pull this together now. I'm going to finish up now. You know, most people, because they don't understand this process or how important it is, they, they allow their imagination to be controlled by other things and they see themselves failing. They see themselves poor and sick and defeated. They see themselves never raising up. They, they start things and they, they, they never see it actually you know, come to pass, come to fruition, where it goes from grace to grace and glory to glory. And you know, it's like the Lord all the time is not, is not holding back in any way. But when what God has told you becomes a vision on the inside of you, Romans 8, 25 says, wait with patience. People who can quit and give up are people whose imagination is negative, actually. They're seeing the negative side of something instead of seeing that what God speaks about it. And so therefore, they don't have hope. So they take their hope and they put it into something or someone else. And so whether you know it today or not, it's actually your imagination that's dictating how your life is going. And if you aren't aware of what I'm talking about and you don't think it's important, all that means is that you aren't controlling your imagination. It's being manipulated and it's being controlled for you. And so therefore you see the negative. Do you want the scripture for that? Proverbs 23, 7. As you think in your heart, so are you. The way you think is the way that your life is actually going. And that might not bless some of you particularly, but it's intended to help you. If your life isn't going well, it's because you conceived it first in your imagination. Because your imagination is simply, it's almost in a sense, can I say amoral? Um, it's, it's like soil. You know, soil doesn't really care, does it, what kind of seed you plant in it. But when something's planted, it starts producing. Do you get that? Do you want me to say that again? It's a bit like soil. Soil doesn't go, oh, I like that seed, not that seed. For the most part over here, chuck something in, it's going to grow. That's what your imagination is like. So you chuck negativity into it, that's what's going to grow. So it's not moral or immoral. It's what you focus your attention on that affects it. And so you get to choose today whether your imagination is grace-filled, hope-filled, or it's negative, and that will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. As soon as you allow negativity to be sown into the imagination of your heart, then that will bear fruit, and you will eat it. And the Lord says, don't do that. Don't be stupid. Like, hello, put your hope fully, your anticipation fully on my unmerited favor for you. Why? Because that's where you're standing. You're standing on favor ground. Some of us need to take this to the Lord today and say, actually, and it's not, remember, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. It's like, there's definitely not. The Lord always brings freedom to us. And he goes, like, you know, we say, no, I have seen and no, you know, it's like what the Lord has conceived for us. I really felt this morning, um, or this week when I was just thinking about this, particularly on Thursday, I was, I was sitting prepping and I was saying to Penny, I, I just feel like I'm banging off something here. You know, n- normally when I get a word from the Lord, I can sit and prep it 
And I kind of go, good to go. You know that sort of feeling of, good to go, right? And so then it just sits in my head for a few days. And I'm, I'm not really done by a Wednesday or a Thursday on my talk because I like to let the Lord keep talking to me about it. See, this one, I couldn't, I couldn't find peace in it. And, uh, you know, it, it was even over the week. It was when we were on the boat hurtling around Loch Erne. I was singing Near My God to Thee, you know, just for the crack. <laughs> what a friend we have in Jesus. And, um, <laughs> but I just felt the Lord say, do you know why? Because this is where the battle is. This is where the battle is. Every minute of every day, when the Lord plants in you and puts seed in you, and gives you this unbelievable capacity to dream about the amazing purpose that God has called you for. It's not selfish. It's not, it's like you're called for a purpose to see men and women and kids transformed by the grace of God out of darkness into light. And you start to think what that could be like in your family, in your network, in your church, in your ministry. And then there's a thousand things come to shape your heart again. And mostly, can I tell you what it is? Most of us are pretty resilient, actually. And most of us are way more resilient than what we would think. So when something's difficult, you'll normally bounce back pretty quick. Or you, have you ever got through something and you thought, how the heck did I get through that? Yeah. Well, you're all super people. Oh, no. I, you know, it's like, if, if somebody explained to you what it was going to be like before you went through it, you'd probably go, now nah, you're all right. Yeah. But here you are, all of you, trophies of grace standing on the other side of some very difficult situations because in the moment the grace of God got you through amen isn't that right that's really important but I think today what I want to say say is this is that there, there's going to be a thousand things every day some of it is just the world and the brokenness of it some of it is spiritual in its dynamic but the biggest problem is none of that because he that is in you has overcome all of that. The biggest problem is us and where we put our attention, where we run to. You've come out in one sense, let me give you the picture, you're not out of the ark, but you're coming from the place where the ark landed on favor ground with the hope of God and the promise of God. And he says, now go. But he says, keep your heart and your attention fully on my grace and then you'll live with hope. Amen? Why don't we stand and close our eyes, and we're going to get ready to take worship, or take communion and have worship together. You'll find under your seats we have these things, communion. Bro, would you lift up? Mark and the guys, could you come up? We... Um, take communion every week here at Exchange. Um, it says in the word that the believers gathered around breaking the bread and the word. You know when you take communion, um, I, we believe it's actually just more than simply remembering. We believe that there's a power in communion for healing. We believe there's a power for hope. We believe there's a power to break chains. And what happens is when, and the whole point is this, you don't look at yourself. You know, when it says don't, don't take this in an unworthy manner, right? 
you, it means that the unworthy bit of that is anything other than what Jesus did. It's like you, in one sense, you are completely unworthy. But the whole point is we put our eyes on the sacrifice. And then we remember what the sacrifice was for. And our attention is on Jesus, not on us. And are we good enough? That's that picture, isn't it, again, of the, the priest looking not when the, the lamb was brought, not looking at the person who brings the lamb, but looking at the quality of the sacrifice. And if the lamb was good enough, you went free. Jesus is good enough. Amen. And so, Father, we take the, the bread in our hands, Lord, the wafer, and we say thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, that because your body was broken, we can be well in our minds and in our bodies, Lord. We thank you. We declare in faith that sickness is not from you, Lord. And I speak health and wholeness over your body. We speak miracles in bodies right now. Father, in minds, we break the chains of anxiety and depression and fear and worry. And we speak the peace of God, the hope of God, and a great expectation of goodness over your life because you are loved and favored. Lord, thank you that that's the stripes on your back, Lord, were bought, bought us wholeness, Lord. And so we eat today and we say, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Father, that the word says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And Father, one drop of your blood for all eternity saved us all. Lord, and I thank you that right now as we look at this sacrifice, Jesus, we can say, thank you for pouring your blood out. Thank you that every curse, you can say it yourself, every curse over my life is broken in Jesus' name. Every curse over my family is broken in Jesus' name. Every curse over my future is broken in Jesus' name because I was set free, set free. And when he set me free, he set me free indeed. Father, I thank you that we are set free from negativity and cynicism. We're set free from all of that stuff and we are set free to righteousness. Lord, and thank you that this morning that is our declaration. Lord, and so we drink this morning with grateful hearts. We drink with thankful hearts. And we say, Lord, thank you because of your sacrifice. We get to stand here today and have hope for tomorrow. Amen. Amen.